Hello listeners and welcome to the NK News Podcast. I'm your host, Jacko Zwetslut, and today's podcast was recorded here in... Jacko! What? Jacko! Ollie! Ollie, I'm doing a podcast. You can't. I'm sorry, I'm running in interrupt. Here. I've got urgent breaking news. Oh, listeners, you are about to hear something here first, right now on the NK News podcast. What is it, Ollie? What have you got? Well, because it's that magical time of year once again, our magical NK shop is now live. You can get all of your Christmas essentials, including NK News calendars, t shirts, posters, all sorts of things. Is this an ad break? It is an ad break, yes, indeed. Oh, well, if you can't beat them, let's join them. Tell me more about this calendar, Ollie. Is it filled with wonderful photographs taken by the best NK News photographers? It is indeed. We have 12 wonderful photos of uh, daily life in North Korea for every month of the year. A rare glimpse, if you will. Oh, is it one picture per month or is it one of those wonky calendars where you get two months per picture? It's one picture per month. Okay, so 12 rare glimpses. 12 rare glimpses just for NK News readers. And you know what the best part is? What is it? Every cent that goes towards our NK News calendar goes towards funding NK News, funding this podcast. If you want to support the show and if you want to support the website, the best thing you can do, apart from subscribing obviously, is buying one of these calendars. It'll look great on your office wall, on your wall at home, even the the bathroom, of course. Uh, so, Ollie, is there a uh, a code that people can use at the checkout of the NK News shop to get a discount? Uh, there is indeed. If you're a listener to the podcast, you can use the code podcast at the checkout uh, for a ten dollar discount. That's great. So, if I'm buying a T-shirt and I get a ten dollar discount, uh, it's almost like I'm getting it at two thirds of the price or something. It's wonderful. So that is nkshop.org. With and the, the code uh, is podcast. The code is podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the NK News podcast recorded here in Seoul on Friday, the 23rd of August 2019. And today I'm joined in the studio by two very special guests, Morton Travick and Son Kim, who together worked to put, to, well, who together worked on the wonderful film called Liberation Day. Uh, about the time that the Slovenian art rock band Leibach went and gave a performance in Pyongyang in 2015. Uh, Morton, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. And Son, thanks for joining us. Lovely to be here. Okay, Morton, tell us a bit about what it is that you do. How do you describe yourself? What are you? Yeah, that's that's a question I ask myself every day uh, when I shave. I mean, the obvious thing, of course, for simplicity would be to call myself an artist uh, and a director, and both would be true, although especially the artist label, I'm not really that fond of, because uh, the thing with being an artist is that once whatever you're doing is classified as art, it's not really being taken seriously anymore. Even though it's a bit pretentious, I like to uh, look at myself as um, more as a diagnostician. Uh, what do you call it? Diagnost- a diagnostics expert. A diagnost- Well, not expert, but okay, at least but a guy uh, who diagnoses diagnostics things. enthusiast. Mm. Let's put it this way. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, through my different kinds of uh, artistic practices, which includes filmmaking, uh, theater, photo, in various mass games, you know, various uh, art forms dear to our hearts. Um, I try to diagnose uh, or to highlight certain uh, social, political, human contradictions, mm-hmm. which I think are everywhere in 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 all societies at any time. Okay. So that's so that's that's the short answer. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. And, and Son, how do you describe yourself? I would describe myself as a cultural mediator. I like the way that Morton framed his uh, answer about what he does. Um, but I would say that my work is very similar. It's just that I catch and I diagnose these situations in a cultural and uh, language-specific way, making sure that the messages are clear, that the negotiation process is going well, and identifying areas um, where there could be improvement or where certain uh, new ideas could enter. Great. And that certainly uh, that role uh, very much comes out in the film Liberation Day. Where, uh, Morton, for people, you know, listeners who haven't yet seen that, where can they catch it? Uh, is it sold on uh, DVD? Can they uh, watch it online? How can that? Is it on Netflix? How, how do they get a hold of it? Well, actually, it's possible uh, to watch it in both of those formats. We have a Blu-ray that came out in uh, December last year, uh, which actually has two different editions, one party member edition with all the basic uh, stuff on it and a supreme leader edition oh. with, um, I think, a world record in bonus material because wow. we had a lot of bonus material <laughs> to add. And it also includes uh, the CD of Liebach's latest release, The Sound of Music. So that's available through Liebach's uh, World Trade Center uh, merchandise shop online. Also, uh, the film is uh, streaming on different platforms, mm -hmm. to my knowledge. I don't really have the overview anymore because our, our distributor uh, handles that. Okay. Uh, I know that in the States, it's uh, available through AMC's Sundance Now streaming service. It's been on, I mean, it's already three years since it came out. So mm. it's, been, it's been around quite a bit. Okay. Now, Morten, you've done a lot of different projects involving uh, cultural exchange or bringing culture to North Korea. How did it all begin for you? Actually, it, uh, it began, believe it or not, with, I'll let you pronounce the name, El Presidente. Ah, okay. Alejandro Caudebenos de Lezzi Perez, the leader of the Korean Friendship Society. No, Association. Association. I got it wrong. KFA, the Catalonian web designer slash party member slash what external minister of north korea renaissance man he's a rena he's he does multi genius <laughs> yes uh, the, my first time i went uh, was in 2008 uh, and then as a kind of you could say uh, hang around mm -hmm. uh, in a kfa delegation because at that time uh, bjornar simonsen uh, was the who is who is norwegian and who was a friend of a friend uh, was the uh, international secretary in KFA. Is he the Norwegian gentleman who we see on the uh, documentary Friends of Kim? Exactly. That, ah. that, that's Bjornar, like the tall, yep. kind of slightly robotic. I like to say he has a flat affect. Yes. Right. Yes. But I mean, I, I know him well. He wouldn't mind a cor characteristic like that. Is he still uh, very enthusiastically uh, involved in the KFA? No, he's not. Actually, he broke with Alejandro back in 2012 because uh, he couldn't really stand uh, Alejandro's methods and, and thought that uh, he was basically working um, not in the best interests of, of DPRK. Uh, Alejandro, if you are listening, I'd love to have you on the podcast, so please do get in touch. We can do a Skype interview if you like. I understand that travel is a bit difficult for you right now. It would be nice to meet you again, for me too. Uh, now, how did it end up that you, you began doing these? So you, you told us about how you came to visit North Korea, but how did you get to the point where you said, okay, I want to do more than just visit as a tourist. I want to actually bring culture here and do exchanges and do projects. Yeah, well, again, you know, we're not going to, uh, we're not going to, to dwell on Alejandro in this uh, podcast, hopefully, but I had to get around him, which for anybody who's seen Friends of Kim can imagine it was, it was a challenge. But the thing is that 
Alejandro, when he and the KFA organizes trips to the to to, to North Korea, they they are not their hosts are not the KITC, you know, the Korean International Travel uh, Company, the state state right. tourist uh, tourism agency. So it's almost the, all tourists go through KITC. Yeah, that's right. So their hosts uh, are the Committee for Cultural Relations with Foreign Countries, uh, who actually, well, you know, they do what it says on the package. Mm-hmm. They, they are the hosts of quite many delegations, including the friendship associations, but also any, anyone associate, associated with cultural projects and, and so on. So I met through, you know, we had some dinners with the KFA delegation where also the people from the committee were present. And I kind of got a good connection with so, some of them. I kind of let it be understood that I could probably do something for them in Europe. Uh, so that's, the, that's where it started. But I had to make Alejandro ditch me mm. uh, or believe that he ditched me and, right. and start direct negotiations with the, with the Koreans. And that happened and then I, could, then, then I could start working for real. How did it then come to, uh, to bringing the band Leibach uh, to, to North Korea? How did that come about? Well, it's uh, one of my favorite quotes from showbiz is uh, the, the old Hollywood uh, mogul. You, you, you used, is yep. it called that? Yeah. Uh, Bob Evans. Uh, there's this brilliant documentary from the early 90s called The Kid Stays in the Picture, which is about his career. And one of his many, uh, many wisdoms is that uh, luck is when chance meets preparation. Mm. So when it came to the Leibach concert, for once, I've, I've been a lifelong Leibach fan. They were, they were a huge influence on my, I think, on my artistic practice and my artistic, my, my methods. The whole principle of raging within the machine, uh, of, uh, you know, influencing the, any kind of power structure from within instead of condemning it from, from afar was, for me, quite decisive in the way I've been working ever since. So I was a huge fan in my 20s, and then they kind of dropped off my radar for a while. But in 2014, through Val Noir, the French graphic designer who who I've been working with on on several other projects as well, uh, he had been doing some artwork for Leibach and told them about me. So they contacted me and asked me if I wanted to make the music video mm. for, for the first for the whistleblowers uh, right. the, the first track from their sort of comeback album Spectre which was released in 2014 and people can find that on uh, on YouTube right the official uh, music video for the whistleblowers that's right when you made that video did you then show that to North Korean authorities and did that get them interested in the project I did show it to them yeah not least because uh, the aesthetics of the video is is quite influenced by by North Korea mm-hmm. or, or, or socialist propaganda uh, aesthetics, although in a slightly more subtle way, maybe. But I don't think that actually had any... It wasn't like they saw that and they thought that, wow, we have to get these guys to North Korea. Right. It's more like I think it just confirmed to them that I work within... When I do projects with and in North Korea, I work within an aesthetic language which they can recognize and be comfortable with. And again, this is a this is a question of using the uh, this particular aesthetic language and also ideological language to your own advantage, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, Son, how did you and Morton meet, and how did you become involved in the project? Well, Morton and I fatefully met um, on my first trip to the DPRK. 
I was on my way to the DMZ, and as everyone who has been to the DMZ knows, you have to stop at the rest stop. And、uh, it was there that I met my dear leader here. On the way to the toilet. Yes. <laughs> and was that、uh, chance plus preparation again? Seems like it. How did you prepare for that, Son? Um, I first got involved in、uh, North Korean work by working for、uh, the AP、um, as their interpreter as they were opening the Pyongyang office. Ah.、Okay. And so、um, that was my first encounter with North Koreans, and I was quite shocked at the time because I thought I knew everything about、uh, Korea, and here was this entire region that I had、uh, more or less like、uh, blocked out of my consciousness. So、right. it was nice to kind of revisit that. And at the time, I was teaching a Korean literature and film class, and I was thinking that、um, post 1953,、uh, you know, you have nothing North Korean in there. So it started with this desire to explore this,、uh, you know, this new place、mm-hmm. and、uh, to educate myself. And so that was、um, how I got into it. Fantastic. Now,、um, near the beginning of the film,、uh, this is just after you've arrived on day one in Pyongyang. You have this.、Uh, you, you're with a large group,、uh, 30 people who have come to、uh, to both、uh, put on the concert and then film the concert. And you have a welcome dinner、uh, put on by the uh, your host,、uh, Mr. Yu, who is, I think, if I remember correctly,、uh, is he a vice minister of culture? Well, no, he's the he's the head of the European section of the Committee for Cultural Relations. Okay, and so he stands up and and reads out this、uh, statement with a lot of negative、uh, criticisms, specifically of the band Leibach, for you know they've、uh, been accused of being.、Um, Fascist, or of using at least a fascist,、uh, totalitarian aesthetic in their work, and so he reads this long criticism, and then at the end he says,、uh, "Without trust, we cannot welcome you." Tell me about that experience. How was that? And then how did you, you know, how did you get him to overcome all those negative things and to actually trust you and, and the band? That is something which is touched upon in the movie, but you know, for for reasons of length, <laughs> we could not、uh, go into more in detail.、Uh, the the Leiber concert was sort of the crowning achievement, I would say, of four or five years of developing projects together with with、uh, the North Koreans,、uh, both by bringing international performers and artists to North Korea to perform,、uh, and vice versa, not least vice versa, bringing. Uh, North Korean musicians, performers, artists to Norway and performing at various big arts festivals there. So through working together, we had both,、uh, of course, developed a、um, personal trust on the personal level, but、uh, not least developing a kind of common language and common understanding, which. Uh, for Mr. Yu, who is a very smart guy and also has certain artistic sensibilities, he is was probably one of the of the Koreans who understood the best what I was really on about. So what he did was that he actually out Leibachd Leibach. He he took without explanation. He just took all these negative、um, statements and accusations about Leibach that he had been confronting and actually was confronting even when we were there、mm-hmm. from his own people, and he turned them into a speech,、uh, which is exactly what Leibach could have done and and have been doing. So I was I was really proud. It it really felt a little bit like、uh, yeah like Obi Wan Kenobi、uh, seeing Luke Skywalker coming out and and doing the the proper Jedi stuff, <laughs> and he also 
of course, frightened the daylights out of the whole Leibach delegation right. because it came totally out of the blue for them and they didn't know him from before and so on. So it was a brilliant prank also. <laughs> so you think it was a prank? It was a prank, but it was also, of course, very serious. And that is also very Leibachian and very ambiguous. It was also a way of saying that, look, we know who you are. Don't, don't think that we, that we don't know your background and, and your, your backstory. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we know who you are and we hope that you will not make us unhappy. Now, I'm going to quote something uh, from a, a conversation that you have with one of the Leibach singers, uh, Boris. Uh, so later on in the film where, um, just to set the scene for the listeners here, uh, it's like a, a dress rehearsal. or it, It's a kind of a rehearsal, part of the preparation stage for the concert. And there is a group of um, North Korean women singers, or, or actually I think they're, uh, they're, you said they're high school girls, uh, from the um, from the Kumsung Music School in Kumsung in, School. in Pyongyang, which is like the highest uh, you could say middle level education for for aspiring uh, performers, aspiring musicians. And we see them singing this uh, song, a very popular song in North Korean about going to Pektusan, so Karira Pektusanro. Uh, and then uh, you and Boris are talking about the singers. And um, I, I'm going to read you. It, it's basically a mishmash of both the things that you say and the things that Boris says as if it was said by one person because it makes it easy for me. They have beautiful voices. I really like the timbre of their voices. There is a purity to it that I really like. It comes from them. I think that Europeans, we cannot do this. We are too cynical, too effed up. I'm going to, you know, because we don't like to uh, end up on the explicit list. You don't like to bleep. Yeah, I'm going to bleep that. Too effed up, too ironic. Uh, Too ironic. So that's the end of the quote. What is the role of irony in a project like this for you? How do you see that uh, intersecting with with all that you're doing? I think it is whatever you want it to be, the role of irony. Uh, I'm quite reluctant to calling it an ironic project because it isn't. It is a project that is serious and playful at the same time. So it's kind of, um, well, you know, like it has a lot of contradiction inside it, as I believe all true true artistic products should have. Uh, like Walt Whitman said, uh, so what if I contradict myself? I am large. I contain multitudes. Mm-hmm. This richness, this inner conflict should, should not be, it, sh- it should be welcomed. Uh, for me, I, I even want to be in the state of inner conflict when I'm making my projects because I don't know and I cannot judge whether going to North Korea is like ethically defensible or not. But I'm, I am questioning whether it is. And the only way to test this uh, theory and, and to highlight that, uh, that dilemma is by going there. I don't know if that's, if I'm like talking myself out on a limb now. I think it's one of the, basic principles of uh, of of uh, this way of artistic practice especially because it happens in a non-manageable uh, outside reality outside the confines of the art world so you really have to um, you have to be serious because if you're not serious you can't get anything done but you can also have uh, a playfulness and open up for that kind of interpretation. Absolutely. I think that when you are approaching any text or any speech, any kind of interaction with the North Koreans, when you go in with your 
preconceived ideas, your anti-communist propaganda, your you know your experiences. Yes, you go with those things, but I think it's really important to try to strip down as much of it as possible and come in with this curiosity. Like, what is it that they're really saying? What is it that uh, we're missing here? That everyone, what is the unexpected that can come out of this message? And I think that uh, we were talking earlier about Mr. Liu saying that without trust. You know, none of this would be possible. And you look at the political messages that are coming out right now. They're always talking about the lack of trust, the lack of uh, having a good relationship. Uh, you know, growing the relationship. And this is not a step that you can really overpass. And in order to build a relationship, in order to build trust, I think you have to be open. You have to stay curious about, you know, how to build that. It's an organic、uh, process. It's not、uh, something that you you can、uh, just do. Based on some kind of equation, so I feel like the success of、uh, Morton's project. I mean, you just see this Leibach、uh, project, and you think that it's it happened overnight. But as he says in the film, without those previous experiences of building trust and building a relationship, it wouldn't be possible. So I think that's actually a very important element.、Mm, yeah, I understand the,、uh, the 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 concept, I guess, of、um, being trying to be both、uh, playful and serious at the same time.、I'm, Thinking, couldn't people say, well, you know, there have been others who have tried、um, that in some ways, but have、um, not ended up so so well. And in a sense, you've been quite lucky. I mean, I'm thinking of、uh, some of the Americans who've gone to North Korea. There was that one who、uh, I forget his name now, but upon arriving in Pyongyang, he tore up his passport and said, "I want to seek asylum here." Now, you might look at that and say that he was, you know, trying to. To be、uh, playful and serious at the same time, but in the end, he got、uh, a couple of months in a North Korean、uh, as an unwilling guest of the North Korean state. And of course, in your own film, you showed a little bit of footage of、uh, Otto Warmbier, for whom things ended very badly when he uh, uh, tried to do something playful with a North Korean、uh, propaganda plaque. Were you? Have you just been lucky? To a certain extent,、uh, yes, absolutely. But then again, those examples you mentioned, I don't really know if that. Is qualifies for playful.、Uh, the definition playful in my in my book, playful for me is、uh, actually something where you. It it doesn't necessarily mean provocative, or or、uh, even disruptive, because both of both of these. I mean, th- this guy who tore up his passport, he was obviously either a bit deranged, or he just figured he gambled that he would get a lot of attention and be released. Quite quickly by the North Koreans, which is exactly what happened.、Uh, Otto Warmbier was uh, more—I、uh, think he was much purer in a way. He was more naive. He didn't know. He 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 took the North Korean sentence、uh, and rhetoric at face value, which is also probably why he tried to kill himself. Those two examples are much more destructive, I would say. Playfulness for me is actually playing within the field、uh, and by the rules. But as the Koreans say, "Usumunso."、Uh, Did I say it correctly? Usumansa. Usumansa. So with a with a smile on your face or or laughing, yeah, laughingly. But, yeah, because even that's also an important part. I think for me it's worked very well to be what the、uh, the North、uh, Koreans call a Norway nolse, and the nolse is a special expression in the North, which is not so used. Not all Southerners understand it, but it's sort of a easygoing guy, a, a playboy, you know, somebody who who has a joyful、uh, approach to life.、Uh, and I think it's been quite liberating for many of my North Korean partners to meet a foreigner who is not either, you know, frightened to death or totally submissive. 
uh, or aloof, but who kind of um, can sit and have a drink and and joke around and and not be be I mean be respectful but not sullen mm-hmm. that's that's been a quite important tool i would say now you've got a very um, strong artistic uh, uh, sense and a philosophy um kim kim jong il on the other hand uh, the the father of kim jong un when he wrote his book uh, on fine art in 1991 he uh, he explicitly rejected the concept of art for art's sake and that's repeated many times in other north korean texts that art for art's sake is uh, um, you know, it's it's decadent. It's uh, something Western. It's a corruption. We don't like this. Uh, and he he argued that art must have always an ideological and an educational purpose. Otherwise, you know, what's the point? Uh, now, how how do you relate to this? And how did you sort of work try to work within that uh, in North Korea? Well, uh, we opened the Liberation Day film with a, with a quote by Leibach, actually, from mm-hmm. from their um, uh, sort of manifesto, ten rules, ten or twelve rules of the covenant. It's called. It, it came out in the early eighties when they were quite quite early in their career. One of the things they state is that all art is subject to political manipulation, except that which speaks the language of that same manipulation. And that is quite, it's almost like a koan. It's almost like an Eastern, you know, yes. uh, biting itself in the in the tail. Uh, but it's also very, I find it very to the point that, and, and again, it's about uh, using whichever power you are, you are dealing with, the lang- its own language, reflecting it back at itself. Because especially in a place like North Korea, where which is so tightly controlled and so tightly censored, the, the, this is one of the few tool, tools you have available. Um, that you, uh, for instance, the, what you quote the dear leader mm-hmm. is is quite correct. But on the other hand, in on the art of opera, he also states explicitly that just a mere reproduction is um, not good enough. You know, when you interpret something, you have to add something of your own so pure reproduction is not sufficient there has to be like a development and this is exactly you could you could say that okay so he is actually stamped uh, approved Leibach's approach of reinterpreting well-known songs in a way so if you have the time and the enough uh, amphetamine to see you through a reading of the collected works of Mm Chuche then you will you can Find in lots of places you will find things that you can that can that can be used to legitimize your approach. So you've read a lot of this uh, this stuff. No, you don't have to. I mean, the North Koreans don't do it, so why should we do it? Uh, what basically what you need to know is, uh, you know, man is master of everything. That's the sentence you need to know, and which most North Koreans know. Okay, it's it's a basic uh, what do you call a humanist bromide, I suppose, isn't it? There's really nothing more than that when you say man is the master of all things. Yeah. I think maybe they forgot to include uh, uh, the definite article, like one man is the mm. master of everything. But so they, but they kept it open for interpretation, which I think is a is a sound instinct. Right. Well, that's, I, yeah, I think that's one of the follow up points, isn't it? Number two or three that uh, everyone needs a leader. Uh, Son, I'd like to talk to you a little bit about uh, uh, your uh, experience there. You know, if, in the film, you're given the title interpreter, but North Koreans always present their own interpreters as well. So there were, for your group of 30 people, there were five uh, North Koreans um, who have the kind of mixed title of uh, guide, interpreter, minder, 
whatever else you want to call them. Consultants. Consultants. Okay. And the one we see <laughs> most often in the film, of course, is uh, Mr. Ree. Um, but how did, how was it for you? What was your experience like to work with North Korean interpreters? And were you constantly, you know, checking each other's interpretations of, uh, um, of the English into Korean or vice versa? I'd like to t- first talk about, I guess, my approach when I am working as an interpreter or a translator with the North Koreans. What I noticed first was that there is, of course, this overwhelming urge in all of us Westerners when we go there to kind of laugh at the way that they speak in English, you know, because it's their second language. And so we we mistake that their bad English, perhaps, or their imperfect English, their non-fluency is a reflection of their intelligence or how smart they may be or how, how artistic or how much they understand their capacity. And I think this is a really big mistake. And so in my work with Morton, I think I try to correct that and show the true intention, the true possibility that there is. And I think um, with all of my clients on the political side, also in the cultural side, I try to bring out the full nuance and I try to bring out a more fluent um, communication between the two sides that is not possible many times. So on the ground, this means, yes, uh, with a group of 30 engineers and uh, artists and everyone there, you need more than one person. But I think in the key communications that are happening, I try to uh, be there to catch all the nuance, to make sure that both sides are really understanding each other. And it's true that um, sometimes my the fact that I'm from, that I have this South Korean uh, background does um, bother them. But at the same time, they do appreciate that uh, there is someone there that can communicate their nuance much more fluently into English to Morton. And I think you, you see this uh, coming out in the film. So it, again, I think there is some playfulness here too, where... Um, we are, let's say, interpreting the lyrics of a song. It's There are multiple things happening there. Yes, my translation is uh, South Korean, but at the same time, when you read a lot of their uh, material, their literature and their poems, you see that it's done in a very specific uh, style and you can't deviate from that. And so if you do, it's like a new creative uh, way of writing, perhaps, but they don't know even what to call it. So they call it like, this is South Korean dialect, mm-hmm. or this is just this is something that doesn't exist for us. And it feels uh, too subversive. It's uh, too out there. And so there's this back and forth that happens. And uh, I would suggest to them, then why don't you translate it? Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll revise it. And so they'll do a translation and I'll look at it and I'll be like, well, this is not exactly what it says. And then right. so... There's this um, back and forth of educating each other about their nuance, my nuance, and we end up with the best possible product that way. Cultural exchange. Now, you're, uh, you're Korean-American. Do North Koreans then see you more as uh, South Korean or, or as, as uh, American or some sort of tainted mixture of the two? How do they, how do they see you, Son? I think both. Um, but the advantage that I think I've had working with Morton and groups from Europe is that, uh, yes, I am Korean and American. However, I think through our interactions over the years, they've also seen that I am someone very neutral. And coming with a European group, working with the Norwegians especially, I think, has allowed for me to embed myself in that neutrality. You're an uh, European by association. Yes, exactly. And now I'm based Honorary in Brussels. European. 
Mm-hmm. So oh, yeah. I think uh, that, again, uh, coming from Belgium as a starting point already to them is a bigger relief than someone who they see as, I guess, coming from a more hostile country. Did you feel um, there's, there's 30 of the, the people you work, sort of 30 clients, I guess, that you are working for, and then you've got a, the North Koreans on the other side. There's only one of you. You're sort of the, the cultural mediator. You're the bridge between the two. Did you feel short-staffed? You know, did you want there to be a few more of you or you know were you under a lot of pressure yes and no i mean our north korean counterparts are actually very they're very capable and they're very very good at the jobs that they do i mean they understand uh, all of the nuances and details on their side that i don't quite know but i think what i tried to do working with the group was try to smooth over the most difficult interactions or the most difficult things that were happening I think in the film you don't see it, but the sound, uh, setting up the sound table was Mm. incredibly difficult. It took uh, 36 hours, I believe, of really constant uh, back and forth and, you know, signing and yelling at each, you know, at the the top to the bottom. And there are also more delicate uh, moments uh, where we had to negotiate, for instance, keeping Arirang in uh, the set list. You know, trying to get them to understand that uh, Boris's rendition is very soulful, that there's a lot of Han in there that uh, that that all Koreans relate to. So sure, it would have been great to replicate uh, myself and have like 10 of me there. But at the same time, I also learned so much from being on the ground and working with uh, the Koreans that um, I didn't mind. Yeah, I definitely want to come back to that question of uh, which songs were in and which songs were out and uh, and working together with the census. I'd put a, a pin in that. I'll come back to it. Uh, most of the, the second half of the film depicts very uh, uh, clearly the uh, frustrations and the difficulties of, uh, for example, you mentioned the setting up of the soundboard, but also just things like getting the right stands on the stage, getting the right kind of lighting facilities. It, it, it's obviously a big project, and I get the feeling that you know this would be probably germane to any Western musical act or artistic troupe trying to put on a performance in Korea. But my question, well, my first question to you, Son, is uh, to what extent do you feel these difficulties and frustrations were caused simply by communication? Or was it more about other factors? I think a lot of it is communication. I mean, that first meeting that we had with them, you see, we're sitting in the room and we're talking about what we need. And you see Matei say, we asked them for everything we needed. We gave them a list and they said, yes, yes, yes. We show up the next day and nothing is there. So, yes, there is communication uh, issues, but it's also just um, the circumstance itself of what North Korea was capable at that time. And these issues happen uh, a lot of times in any in, in any situation when you're setting up such a big production and a big concert. I, I think, if I, if I may add, uh, yeah, I think that's that's true. Uh, it's it's communication, but and uh, misunderstandings, but also, of course. I mean, as the underlying everything is the, 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 the tension and the, that something is at stake for both sides, but, but far more for the North Korean side, because the consequences of any failure or transgression is, is considered considerably bigger potentially for them than for us. I also touch upon this, uh, as you see in the film, that communications not only between us mm-hmm. and the North Koreans, but also within the North Korean uh, side. There is a lot of misunderstandings and miscommunication because uh, the uh, the lines of responsibility were very unclear. And at this, while we were setting up the concert, I mean, there were like maybe, you know, 10 uh, technicians working with us. And then there were like 20 to 25 guys at any time mm. that whose responsibilities was were far less clear, uh, just hanging around. 
uh, and confusing each other. <laughs> right. So, so that there are two parallel layers of miscommunication, which which happens simultaneously. And the reason for the North Koreans being uh, miscommunicating as well is because, of course, they were very very wary of anybody making any decision that might be traced back to them mm-hmm. in case something undesirable would happen. So they had to discuss everything among themselves and then get back to us. So during that discussion, sometimes the our request got warbled uh, through the whispering game uh, uh, syndrome. And so when it kind of got out on the other side, they, I think several times they gave us what they thought we want, mm-hmm. but it had kind of been lost somewhere, you know, uh, on the way, the original our original request. How would you do it differently if you were doing it a second time or if you were taking another group in there into Pyongyang? How would you try to avoid some of those uh, those difficulties and frustrations? I'm not really sure whether they could be avoided because, like I said, the default mode, uh, as I think anybody who's has ever tried any kind of endeavor uh, in collaboration with the North Korean side, uh, their default mode is to uh, slow everything down and to question every request you have more or less and not to deliver as planned which again like i just said it's it's not it's not a deliberate strategy it, it's not like they have this planning meeting and says oh now you know the 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 wildies are coming let's make life difficult for them it's not like that it's it's uh, they they have a genuine uh, wish to collaborate which hopefully also comes across in the film that you see that, but but they have, I mean, they are conditioned in making absolutely sure, playing it safe, playing everything that could be played safe, safely. Yeah. <laughs> and this is, this creates uh, an inertia and uh, an indecisiveness within the system, which which make things move more slowly and and uh, arduously than than they would be perhaps uh, in other places. Now, as well as the tensions that you had there, uh, you know, on the small scale, putting on your your show in Pyongyang, uh, there was at that time uh, a lot going on uh, in the inter-Korean space. A lot of tension there. It was uh, August ni- uh, tw- 2015. There were the uh, the two soldiers who were uh, maimed by the mine explosion on the border. There were uh, propaganda broadcasts from South. Korea to North Korea, there was an artillery exchange. To what extent were you aware of these things going on? And did they have any impact on either the mood or the activities going on around you? Actually, it was not, as far as we could tell, uh, it was not really being um, played up that much in the North Korean media. But in the world media, it was very much uh, an issue at the time. And you had access to that because you had internet. Yes, okay. that's correct. So I, we through through my phone because uh, you you can. I don't know if everybody knows this, but you can actually even today. I think as a Westerner, you can buy a SIM card uh, because they do have an international phone network, which is for foreigners only. And also, I did a lot of Anne Leibach did a lot of interviews also while in Pyongyang with the press. So I was I think I was on BBC World at least two or three times during that week. Of course, talking about the Leibach concert, but just as much being some sort of, you know, temporary correspondent, like assessing the mood. So, but of course, it was, it added, definitely added uh, a certain extra flavor to the experience, knowing that North Korea had put this ultimatum mm. to, to, to South Korea, that if you don't, if you don't turn off the noise within 48 hours or 36 hours, then there will be hell to pay. Mm. Uh, and, and Leibach actually left the country less than 12, 12 hours before that ultimatum expired. 
And not not only that, but with their usual flair for for uh, statements, the North Korean side changed the North Korean time zone. Oh right, yeah, they, they went, went back thirty minutes. Thirty minutes, yeah. Pyongyang time. Pyongyang time. So, which uh, is now finished with, thank heavens. It was only what there for about three and a half years or something. Yeah, which is also, you know, which, what what a statement a right. statement. I mean, as a as a director. You know, you always dream of, you know, or you always try to play God, basically, right. to, 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 you know, to decide how, how the world should look. And that, I have to take my hat off to, to their sense of drama and sense of, uh, of artistic statements. To me, that was like the ultimate artistic statements, changing the time mm-hmm. half an hour just because you can. But also conceptually within the framework of the liberation from the Japanese. Brilliant. The only backside was that several of the appointments we did the day after, and we had to wait for half an hour because uh, quite many of the North Koreans hadn't really, uh, weren't really tuned to, right. the, to the new Pyongyang time yet. Uh, Son, what, did your uh, Korean interlocutors ask you about, you know, uh, what's happening? Um, you know, because they knew that you had access to outside news. Did they ask you anything about these tensions between South Korea, the war of words, and uh, uh, the propaganda that was going on? They weren't so much interested about the tensions. I think what they were more interested in was how was the outside world talking about, what were they saying about this concert that was being staged? Can you show us the photos that are being used? And uh, what are they saying about the overall um you know, concerts. So that we were very happy to share. And uh, we ourselves were curious. So keeping on top of that. And and again, turning back to the what we talked about with language, I, I remember being quite surprised by what they reacted to. I have, of course, in advance been feeding them with all the headlines, mm-hmm. you know, about uh, fascist ex-Yugoslavian ban goes to the most closed country of the world. You know, all these uh, very juicy media headlines and, and, and angles. Then the, the, the fascist had headlines mentioning fascism. They weren't really the case for them. What was the big, uh, the big problem, what they definitely made their hair stand on end was a Guardian article, which was, and Guardian has this particular tradition of word plays in there. I mean, they, they kind of self-consciously have cultivated that into an art of bad puns and word plays in their article. So no so, pun is a bad pun, surely. Oh, that, yeah, that's, that's, that's true. You're right. Um, but, but still, from the North Korean perspective, it was a bad pun. They had called the first article when they announced the, the, um, uh, that when, when we announced that, that, uh, Leibach would be playing Pyongyang and that the concert was actually going ahead. The, the Guardian published an article called Pyongyang Gang, Pyongyang Gang. Uh, Leibach goes to North Korea. Mm. And that got, got the North Koreans, you know, really, really riled, you know, and they, and they told me, you know, what, what why did they ask the gang? Right. This was, and I think this must be some Korean nuance about the gang or, yeah, you know, gangsters rather, is not a happy word in North Korea. It has very Pompeo negative connotations. And, uh, you know, this kind of person who just kind of riles everyone up. Uh, it's usually the word that they use for the American. Right. Or Japanese. Yeah, exactly. Or both. Yeah. And, and I figured, of course, after a while that it had to be something like that because mm-hmm. a gang is a quite i mean of course it does it, if you want it can have associations to you know rascals or 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 mafia and so on but pyongyang gang it was it really was like a quite innocuous i think wordplay yeah, yeah. so uh, and that's also one of the wonderful things with with dprk that you it it, it you never really can never really predict what will pass 
right. you know what what you will actually be able to do and what totally gets their horns and and uh, and fangs out well let me use that as a jumping off point to ask about uh, the senses uh, there is a point in the film when we suddenly see a group of people who are uh, intro- well not, not introduced but they're simply described as uh, senses, uh, we see you, Morton, getting quite upset that they don't even have the decency to come and say hello and introduce themselves to you. They're just going through the text and saying, this is okay, this is not okay, this is not going to go in the show, this can go in the show, uh, to the extent of looking at the lyrics, but also the background um, video animations that have been prepared by your team. Uh, so tell us a, a little bit about that uh, process. Yeah, well, I, we all knew that we would be censored, uh, and uh, I had prepared Leibach uh, specifically for that, uh, so that they were kind of primed for that and expecting it, and also being a band which basically um, uh, came about uh, during the the last decade of Yugoslavia, the older Leibach members, I mean, they had a lot of experiences with censorship and controversy in their times. So, so it, although within a far, far milder, mm. less hardcore <laughs> form of, of, of socialist uh, regime than in North Korea, having prepared them that we will be interfered with and censored at, at every opportunity, probably they will even also take away some of the songs. So that's, this is also why, you know, they, of course, we were a bit disappointed that some of the songs were cut out, but it wasn't really a big surprise because I know, I knew that to get, to get some of the camels through the needle's eye, you know, we had to sacrifice some others. And it would have looked very peculiar on the part of the censors if they wouldn't cut away some songs, mm-hmm. because then that would signify that they were not really doing their job. So if you're a censor, you have to censor that, that kind of, you know, it's it's what you're supposed to do. Having said that, the sen- those censors that that came to censor our uh, concert, I mean, they were not like Gestapo agents or you know arrogant uh, apparatchiks or something. They were actually music professors of music. That these sweet elderly men, I was because they they let me meet them. So after, you did in the end meet them because we don't see that in the film. But yeah, you yeah. After I after, after I had my little tantrum, they right, they actually it. they took me to see them. Aha. Uh-huh. Was that a a strategic tantrum where you said, look, it's very rude and at least come and say hello to me. Were you doing that strategically to try to leverage it into, a, into something else? Not really, uh, but sometimes strategy is not necessarily being, um, being proactive in a strategy. It's sometimes it might be just not holding back. Uh, and at that point and on certain other points in my interaction with the Koreans, because, of course, you have to hold back a lot of irritation and a lot of uh, exasperation but sometimes it feels okay uh, to let go and to let them understand that the the, the level of respect uh, and of um, decency that they expect from us that's that's also it it's a two-way it's a two-way business even uh, being angry i or or strict i kind of use their own language. So I'm not saying that, you know, this is terrible. This is, uh, we are so angry. Uh, how, how dare you? And so on. I, I make a point about respect, which is something that within their codex and the whole, you know, East Asian face culture, they, ex- they understand very well. Then when I met them, the, the censors, they were really these sweet, uh, old uh, music professors who, who profoundly apologized 
and and not in a robotic or you know um, obligatory way they they really meant it that we, you know we're really sorry but we this is our job and i hope you understand that this and this for us it will be uh, probably too conf- this is what they say confusing mm-hmm. for the audience mm-hmm. then on the other hand we managed to get much more uh, we managed to get through the censorship than what they took away. So do you want to add something? Yeah, I was just thinking as Morton was speaking that that process was much more, uh, there was much more back and forth involved than I had expected. Mm. And it was actually interesting to do that. I, I agree with Morton that it's not about always holding back. Sometimes you have to show your displeasure or your, you know, what you're unhappy about. It's a, it's a form of communication in some ways. Like, and a way to start the discussion. We're unhappy about this. They're unhappy about that. And it's in some ways understanding what uh, victory means for both sides and finding that point at which you can meet. The last section I want to talk to you about today is um, the, the aftermath, you know, the, the results of the concert. Now, we see uh, a little bit of some uh, audience reactions, not, in ter- not terribly enthusiastic. One gentleman says very diplomatically, well, uh, you know, now we know this type of music exists as well. Uh, how do you see the uh, the results for uh, for the North Koreans? Well, you know, only uh, only two years uh, after the concert, uh, you know, you had the the Panmunjom meeting between uh, Moon Jae-in and Kim Jong-un, and also Donald Trump uh, is obviously a Laibach fan and, and followed their lead. You know, I don't want to brag about it, but you know, look where we are today compared to uh, compared to then. Okay. Yes. Are you still in contact with your uh, your collaborators in North Korea? Yes, I am. The thing is that I suspended my uh, North Korean projects in the fall, the the autumn, twenty seventeen, uh, in connection with the then very tense climate uh, between North Korea and the outside world, and especially USA and, and South Korea. We were there during the their first, you know, when they really came out as nuclear power and they did the the first really successful uh, nuclear test which even my hotel bed in Pyongyang was was kind of vibrating from the tremors of of that explosion it was not because of that that i suspended the collaboration there were many other things that were that had gotten too difficult because of the external and internal political conjectures at that time but we have stayed in touch and we are still staying in touch and and keeping the keeping the kettle on on a low boil uh, that's interesting. A, a friend of mine uh, told me a story that he heard from somebody else. Uh, in 2017, two gentlemen tried to bring a uh, reggae band to North Korea. And in discussions with uh, North Korean cultural officials, had to explain what reggae music was. And the North Korean says, oh, it, oh, it's a kind of rock and roll. Oh, no, that's like Leibach. We, we can't do that again. Uh, <laughs> and, and so he's, uh, the, the sense that he got was that, that the Leibach was, experience was, uh, was a very negative one for North Korea, was a debacle. But you obviously uh, say that your collaboration has continued. So uh, it, it wasn't as negative as that. I would have been very surprised if a band like Leibach, if you listen to their music, uh, if that would be what turned the North Koreans on to to the concept of rock and roll. And I have a hard time seeing that basically any any Western band would publicly trigger a lot of enthusiasm. Uh, although I think the you know that people hearing and watching Leibach for the first time are appalled and shocked, mm-hmm. that's a totally normal reaction. Leibach says that themselves. That I mean, this is how we are perceived in in many parts of the world. But I think what 
was were the were the benefits, the long term benefits for the North Korean side is that as I told them before, that was actually one of my selling points for the concert, that this will hurt a little bit uh, and be a bit stressful, but it will have a huge media impact all over the world. And it will shock many people who thought that North Korea was the most closed country in the world. And those who want to collaborate culturally, they will approach you and uh, not necessarily only Leibach type of bands, but many other type of bands. And actually, as we speak right now, uh, just to name one example of, of a direct consequence of, of the Leibach concert, mm-hmm. there is a, a delegation from Sweden's uh, highest uh, university of music in Gothenburg uh, visiting the uh, Kim Won Yun Conservatory, uh, Music Conservatory in, in Pyongyang to, uh, to start a longer term collaboration. And this is only one of the many uh, collaborations that I have facilitated and that came about because I've been contacted by artists and musicians and, and documentary people all over the world who would like to, who has kind of been positively surprised by what seems possible to achieve in, in North Korea not. So they have actually got a lot of other and less controversial collaborations because of the publicity that Leibach, the Leibach uh, concert generated. What do you say to people who would uh, argue that um, bringing cultural exchange to North Korea would be like bringing you know, rock bands to apartheid era South Africa? Um, yeah, why not? This is one of the arguments that were, I remember at the time that Paul Simon uh, got a lot, of, a lot of flack and a lot of criticism for going to, to, to South Africa and recording the Graceland album. But then again, he recorded it in Soweto with uh, some of the most accomplished uh, black musicians. Uh, but still, he was criticized, you know, from some kind of weird principle standpoint by some, you know, pro-boycott uh, organizations. And the same thing goes for Israel. And I don't really see the point. Uh, if you want to have any kind of impact at all at any kind of society... I don't think you do it by condemning from, you know, your high horse uh, on another continent. So that's my that's my philosophy. I respect that others might have other views, but usually, and this is also definitely the case with North Korea, I feel that those people, the more you have visited the country and interacted with people, the more you realize how nuanced things really are. It's very easy to be critical. But those people most vocally critical of my projects, I found are the ones with the least practical and sometimes even factual knowledge of North Korea. If I might add that um, also the UN specifically at that time when we were running this project, when tensions were high, recommends that cultural and academic exchanges continue. And I think that it's important not to boycott those kinds of activities as someone coming from the cultural artistic fields or even from academia. It's um, when you meet these people, the academics, uh, artists and, uh, you know, and the musicians, I mean, there really is something that is happening uh, organically. There is exchange happening and it's important to continue those, especially when things are so tense politically. Okay. Well, that unfortunately is where we're going to have to leave it today. There's so many other questions I'd love to ask you, but we have reached the end of our time. Uh, Morton, where can people find out more about you and, and your projects? Do you have a website? Are you on Twitter? Well, uh, actually, I'm, I'm not such a big fan of social media because they remind me 
a bit too much about what is difficult in North Korea. Ah. You know, with uh, peer pressure and uh, the the tyranny of the few uh, over the many and the mob mentality and so on. Uh, but we have a website uh, called travik.info uh, where most of my projects are, are regularly updated. But That's T-R-A-A-V-I-K dot info? That's right. And... You know, just to sound a, to sound a little uh, haughty, they can also just Google me and they will find something to read. Right. They can certainly find, uh, for example, on YouTube, a uh, very much viewed video clip of uh, four or five North Korean accordionists playing uh, Aha's Take On Me, which is something that you organized uh, several years ago, um, which is probably the first time that I came across your name is from that video clip. And here I would like to, to donate uh, the full album of those aha covers to uh, NK News because I'm sure you need some motivational music for those rainy days. Excellent. Take on us. Pyongyang Gold Stars play great popular hits, volume one. It's a very beautifully produced CD. Uh, thank you very much, Morton. Uh, Son, where can people learn more about you? Are you a Twitterer? Um, uh, do, do you no. write things? I, I was on Instagram at one point and I also found this small mentality a bit difficult to deal with. So I'm pretty underground. You can reach me through Morton. You can also reach out to me privately. Facts. Facts. Yes, facts. <laughs> and telex. Yeah, okay. Tell, uh, send a telegram too. Okay. Wonderful. Thank you uh, both very much for joining me today. You've been very generous with your time. Uh, and listeners, do remember to please go to the website nknews.org to check out all the latest news from North Korea or about North Korea. Also subscribe to this podcast. And our great thanks to uh, James Fretwell and Chad O'Carroll for facilitating this podcast, as well as to our excellent genius post-production editor, Arius Dare, who will cut out all the silences, bodily functions, noises, and uh, false starts, etc. Thanks of, very much. Of, of Jacko. Of me, yeah, that's right. Thanks very much, and listen again next time. Costs involved in the production of this podcast were partially funded by the Uni Korea Fund, for which we are extremely grateful.